0: Today, our scripture is taken from Philippians, the second chapter, verses 6 through 11. Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, To the glory of God the Father. So far the scripture.
1: Thank you, Latoya. This Advent season we've been looking at who God is. God is not just some big superhero. God is fundamentally different from each of us. He created us, but he himself was not created. In fact, God's reality is literally incomprehensible. God reveals himself as a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We looked at that uh, at the beginning of this Christmas season. What does that mean? It means that God is love because God is a community of love, a divine fellowship from all eternity. God is also a father, a father of everybody, a particular father for Jesus. Jesus had his biological nature from God the Father through the Holy Spirit and through the Virgin Mary. But God also had Joseph become Jesus' legal father. Joseph adopted him. So Jesus had two identities, two natures, a divine nature and a human nature a divine father, and a human father. Last Sunday, we looked at the birth of Christ, and in fact, our children acted out the story of the birth of Christ. This Sunday, we're going to look at the idea on what it means as we approach Christmas that God, through Jesus, became a human being, that the Word became flesh, that God became one of us. And a great place to look at that, and this is the reason we have this passage from Philippians, is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church. It was a church that he planted. He shared the gospel. It was his practice to travel around and either speak at a synagogue or the public square, tell people about Jesus, just stand up and start talking and sharing the stories. The people that responded, he would take to some private place, usually somebody's home, And he would begin to teach them intensively. In fact, so intensively that they became a church. And once the church was established, he would move on. They would communicate with him through letters. And much of the New Testament are the letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he had planted. And if you read them, some of those churches were quite troublesome. They really didn't know how to behave. Once he'd left, they had all kinds of problems, and they would write to Paul, and he would write back and tell them uh, why what they were doing was not godly or what they should be doing instead, and so they're a great source of instruction. But the Philippian church was different. The Philippian church embraced the gospel. They're a very joyful, generous church in comparison to the other ones. In fact, Paul's letter to the Philippians is filled with his joy in them as Christians. Joy is in the short letter is repeated 12 or more times. And it's really a celebration of what it means to receive the gospel, to receive the person of Jesus, and to flourish. And right in the middle of the letter to the Philippians is the passage that we have right here. Biblical scholars, Christians down through the ages have called this the Christ hymn, a celebration of the gift of Jesus, who he is and what he's about. It's a distilled summary of Jesus' identity, his earthly mission, and his human life. And so it's a great place to go to learn about who Jesus is and what he did. In fact, if you were going to memorize a passage this Christmas, this would be a great passage to memorize. If you have this in your memory, if you can recall these words, no matter what happens to you in the rest of your life, you will have an amazing resource as a Christian. So what does the birth of Jesus mean? It's what Christmas is all about, and yet it seems... That Jesus is the last thing you will ever see celebrated at Christmas time in America right now. There's a, an evangelist uh, down in Texas, David Grisham, and he's developed a rather ugly habit. He likes to go to his local mall at Christmas and tell chi- kids who are in line to sit in Santa's lap that Santa doesn't really exist. And the parents are not amused by this. Um, in fact, there's a viral video. Put out by one of the local um, news stations called Crazy Christian Pastor Screams Santa Isn't Real. Now, he is a rude man. I've watched several of his videos. I wouldn't suggest this as a way to evangelize or share the love of Christ or the meaning of Christmas. But when you look at the videos, it's striking. They're set in a mall, and it's gorgeous. It's filled with decorations, it's filled with all this energy, all these people. It's like an electric cathedral of light. But it's not celebrating Christmas and Jesus. It's celebrating shopping. And there's this tremendous irony. Even though he's quite an ugly presence, there he is at this temple of buying, passionately talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus to people who are in line to sit in the lap of Santa Claus. He wants to talk about the gift of Christ and all the people there want to do is to go shopping. The pastor is an intrusion. Jesus is an intrusion at that place. There's another way that we distance ourselves from the real meaning of Christmas. Through Facebook, I got back in touch recently with an old college friend I met her through the sailing club in my college. Um, She was a Christian. I was not. And she used to come after me, try to evangelize me. Uh, Now she's married with three, three children. She lives in Edinburgh, Scotland. And she marvels at the fact that I have become a pastor. To her, it's extraordinary. And we exchanged quite a few emails. But she was disturbed. She's disturbed by what she saw as my confidence that Christianity is real, that Jesus is real. I'm a fundamentalist, I'm a literalist. I take the Christian story seriously and that upsets her because her faith is all about how mysterious God is. She likes the idea of God as uh, as an idea, not as a real person, not as an event in history, She thinks it's wrong that one particular group of people would say they know who God is, as opposed to other religious traditions. She wants a God that is sort of a big, pleasant idea. She is scandalized by the particularity of my faith the fact that I believe in a particular intervention into history that we celebrate at Christmas, a particular person entering our world, Jesus Christ born the word becoming flesh, God entering. Because when you have particular truths, particular facts, a particular person, you can't fudge that. A particular person demands a particular relationship. And the world does not want that. The world wants to do whatever it wants to do. That's why this Christ hymn, I think, among other things. That's why it's so beautiful, because it is so specific, so particular, so located in time and history. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus. This is a particular name of a particular person. A child born in Israel, a Jew, born in a particular time, a particular town, a particular place. You can't fudge that. Being in very nature God, these are his qualifications, these are his credentials. Jesus is God. You don't get better credentials than that. There's no greater appeal to authority. Than being God, who did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Not an arrogant person, this Jesus. There is a humility here. There is a selflessness, a generosity of spirit, a compassion for those who don't have what he has. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He gave himself away. This is a bold, heroic, adventurous man who is willing to take on a new identity, go to a new place, take on the challenges of other people. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. A true hero. Someone who is willing courageously to go where others cannot or will not. Fearless, bold, even in the face of death, even unto death. This passage obliterates mystery. You can now only say you don't know about God if you say that you don't believe in Jesus Christ, that you don't believe that he was God. Through Jesus, God has been given a biography, a history, a track record, a network of relationships. God is witnessed in the world, revealed in the world by him, by his followers, by his church. He is real in human history because of the incarnation of Jesus. God is not a cosmic cipher, not a God of the gaps. He is a revealed God. God is real. Jesus is God and he is the revelation of God. Through God, God's word, Jesus, came into our world, carried and sustained by the Holy Spirit the first thing that Jesus does when he begins his ministry is get baptized in the Holy Spirit. In fact, one way you can think of the Trinity is of the Father who speaks his creative word. You know, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks. Spirit literally means breath. The breath of God is the Spirit. So God speaks the Holy Spirit carries the word, Jesus, to us. Jesus is God's revelation, and through the Holy Spirit is God's communication to us. And the gift of Christmas is that gift. The full physical presence of God in the world, revealed and spoken to us, given to us, through the Holy Spirit, Not Christmas presents wrapped up underneath a Christmas tree, but a Christmas presence, God's presence, the gift of God, as He's revealed through Jesus. So, how should we think about this, this Christmas? What does it mean to each of us individually? Well, remember that. For much of the world, for much of America, for much of our town of Hoboken, Jesus is an embarrassment at Christmas. People would rather think about other things. You won't see much of him in the media. You won't hear much of him in the news. What does his coming into the world mean? It means God's presence, the gift of his presence in the world, in your life, in my life. So I have two suggestions for you this Christmas. Remember, it's coming very shortly. Think of that idea of presence, the gift of presence, relationship, interaction. I heard this from uh, what I'm going to share with you now, from Gary Lawrence, who is a vice principal at Mustard Seed School, a Christian school. They were worried about what to do about all the social media their students had. And so they brought in a consultant who was going to help them think about technology, about social media, how to deal with cell phones in the classroom and texting and all that. And one striking thing this consultant said to the teachers, uh, this is what Gary shared with me. She said that many of the parents of these children are just as involved in technology and Facebook and texting and cell phones as the kids are. I've seen this, by the way, when I walk my dog in the park. Oftentimes you see the kids in the playground and their parents uh, looking at their cell phones, not looking at their kids. What the consultant said was, teachers (coughs) are probably the only adults in most children's lives who give the children their full attention. Teachers don't, hopefully, look at cell phones when they're teaching their kids. They pay attention to their kids, unlike nearly every other adult in a child's life. So here's an idea give yourself to your children, to your parents, to your brothers and sisters, to the people that you love this Christmas especially on Christmas Day. The gift of Christmas is God giving us his presence through Jesus. Why don't you consider doing the same for those that you love? Switch off your phone. Switch off iPads and computers and TVs. Anything that has a screen that's going to draw attention away from your celebration of Christmas and the celebration of Christmas of those that you love. A whole day, fully present to each other. Alive to every word, every joke, every look. Attentive, joyful, a celebration of the fact that you're in each other's lives. Full presence, full attention. You love them and they love you for a reason. They want you, they need you. Give the people that you love the best gift that you could give them this Christmas, your full presence, undivided attention, just for one day. What a gift. But also remember why you can do that. Because you've received a gift. The gift of Christ in your life. Find a way to bring Jesus in to your Christmas day. Find a way to share that gift with those that you love, your friends, your family, your children. Perhaps start Christmas day unlike other days. Have a shared prayer together before you do anything, before you open presents, before you eat, before you do anything else. Perhaps read the Bible together and talk about what it means. Read part of the Christmas story Worship. Listen or sing some Christian music. Maybe read a psalm out loud. Have people share. This is especially, I've done this with children when I used to teach a class in Manhattan. Ask young people to share their experience of God or what they think about Jesus with you. It's astonishing what they will share, it's a gift. Be creative. I'm a boring old Englishman. What do I know about sharing with children? Find a way to be creative. Find a way to bring the gift of Jesus into your family so that he's present there with you as you celebrate Christmas. But as you do, don't, as the world does, turn Christmas into this sentimental cute thing because there are two sides of the gospel. It's not just joy. There's also darkness. He, hum- he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christmas can be all about cute baby Jesus, warm and cozy in a manger, Memories of, sentimental memories of childhood. But remember what the experience of that child was, the baby Jesus. For Jesus to give up his position, an eternal loving relationship with God, and become a human being, was like being transported into a war zone, into the darkness. It would be like us sending our child on a plane to Afghanistan or Syria, Aleppo, some terrible part of the world filled with darkness and pain and suffering and misery. That was what happened to Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Another story from the Mustard Seed School. I went to a seminar there and it was talking about how to share the gospel with children and one of the things uh, the woman who was leading the seminar said, and i never forget this. She said, don't shortchange your children by just giving them the happy parts. There's a reason that fairy tales have such darkness into them. There is a reason that the gospel has such darkness in it. It's because you, your children, your brothers and sisters, your parents, everybody that you love will suffer in this world. This world is filled with darkness. There is illness, there is death, there is the malevolence of other people. And the people that you love need to know that even when things are darkest, even in the midst of great evil and suffering, the gospel has power. The gospel is not sentimental about the world. The gospel is a story of Jesus Christ going to the most terrible death imaginable. That is not cute sentiment. That is a cold, clear-eyed look at the problems of a violent, broken world. And that's how the gospel begins. There's a book I read some years ago, written by John Krakow, He's a journalist for Outside Magazine, and he went on a commercial trip up Everest. And everything was hunky-dory until, as they were coming back down the mountain, uh, a sudden storm, it was actually a very violent storm, scattered the party coming down. In fact, there were so many people, it was so bad, eight people died. And the the biggest problem with that storm was they were in the death zone when it happened. The death zone is where you are so high in the atmosphere that there's not enough oxygen for human metabolism to continue. And you're literally in that zone, your body begins to die, cells begin to die. And if you stay there long enough, you do die. And that's where the storm hit, and they ran out of bottle oxygen, and they were scattered all over the mountain, and they all started to die. Except for one person, there was a Russian climber, Anatoly Varekiov. Now, he'd stayed a little distant from the other people. He didn't go up the mountain with them. He waited in the camp. And they actually didn't like him very much. He didn't interact. He only spoke Russian. They didn't really know why he was there. Well, he was waiting in case there was a problem. And when this party, and there there were a lot of people on the mountain at that time, got scattered and lost, and they were scattered all over the mountain, The, the survivors stumbled into camp, and they were oxygen-deprived. They just fell into their tents, curled up in a ball of misery, didn't want to know about anything, didn't want to help, didn't want to do, couldn't do anything. And this lone Russian climber, without oxygen, went out into the, one of the worst storms that they'd had up there, and he went all over the mountainside, gathering up the stragglers and dragging them. They couldn't help themselves, dragging them into camp. And he saved a lot of people. He went out into the death zone, went out into the cold, and he rescued those people that couldn't rescue themselves. There's nothing sentimental about what he did. If he didn't do it, they were going to die. That is a perfect picture of why Jesus entered our world. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. That's the beginning of the gospel story. It is a story of a downward descent to death and facing death. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus' journey starts with God. He is God. Perfect love, a divine community of love from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus does not hold on to that. Jesus lets that go and enters our world, becomes a child, becomes vulnerable, become subject to death and suffering and temptation and pain to find us. And when we hear his name, when the Holy Spirit softens our hard hearts so that we can receive his gospel, we then can turn from the darkness and begin the journey with him back to the light. We can end the downward journey of our life and turn it around and begin an upward journey with Jesus. The gospel has these two strokes. You should never forget that. There is a downward cycle. That's what confession, i.e. identifying what the problem is. Repentance, turning back to Jesus and God. And discipleship or obedience beginning to follow him instead of the other things of the world. There's the downward cycle, and then, through obedience, the upward cycle, as Jesus leads us home. Peter put it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Righteousness means to be right with God. And live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd. And overseer of your souls. That's the Christian life right there. Two strokes. The downward stroke all the way to death. The upward stroke where Christ, having defeated death, can lead his people home. This summer, I was uh, reading a book by a guy called Richard Rohr. He's a Franciscan uh, monk, and he has this amazing ministry um, where he, in a vivid way, he explains, even to people who think they know Christianity like me, what Christianity is all about. And his latest book is called Falling Upward. And he points out that becoming a Christian is becoming a Christian. That is knowing, hearing the gospel, starting a relationship with Christ. But that is just the beginning. We are on a journey. We are a pilgrim people. Our Christian life now is following the example of Christ. But it is now an upward journey. That's why he calls his book Falling Upward. Once you know Christ, up is the only way to go. And that is the Christian life. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a pilgrim. That's what it means to live a Christian life. Jesus came down, gave himself, so that we could be lifted up and follow with him upward. We're going to go to the Lord's table right now. There are many ways to think about this table. It's the family table of the Christian church. It is the wedding feast of the Lamb. It is a Thanksgiving meal, a celebration. You know, Jesus, when he teaches us the Lord's Prayer, his prayer, asks us to join him in praying, give us this day our daily bread. The word there that he uses is the word for ration. An amount of food given to a traveler, to a soldier, to a pilgrim. What you need for the day. So I want you to ask yourself some questions, maybe in a prayer as you come to the table this morning. What do you need today to nourish your soul, to nourish your spirit? to give you the resources and the generosity to share yourself and to share Jesus with those that you love this Christmas. What are you hungry for spiritually? What do you need right now, this morning, that would allow you to feed others, the people in your life that you love? As you come to the table... Ask for that in prayer. And when you eat and drink, remember what you're receiving. You're receiving a ration. You're receiving what you need for this day. You're receiving exactly what it will take to take the next step on your journey. It's here, right here, freely available. That's the gift of Christmas. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. That's the gift of Christmas. That's our future. Let's pray. Lord, this Christmas... Help us to remember what an astonishing gift you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to make this Christmas all about you. Help us to receive the gift. Help us to share the gift with others. Fill us with the joy of your gift. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.